Hey, it's Bill Simmons. I have some good news for you. The hottest take. It's back. Oh, yeah. Monday through Thursday, four times a week, you hear from me, Chris Ryan, Sean Fantasy, Mallory Rubin, Wazdeen Lambrey, Van Lathan, Julie Lippman, many other ringer staffers. You get one take, you got to defend it to the death. Sports takes, pop culture takes, food takes, airplane takes. Oh, yeah. It's coming back. First episode drops August 29th. It's Off the Pike, presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel. Find what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like 3-Minute Markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of this episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus, 18 plus in DC and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. Welcome into Off the Pike. I'm Brian Barrett. Bonus episode tonight because Rafael Devers has signed with the Red Sox multiple reports, 11 years, 331 or $332 million, however you want to slice it. Right now we're off by like $1 million by some of the reports. Joining us now, nobody better to talk about this than Lou Merloni. Lou, what's up, man? What do you say, metric man? Hanging out. <laughs> I'm doing well. I mean, finally. We got some good news. We've been waiting forever this offseason for something good. Bogarts is gone. They didn't get Jose Abreu, like all these guys that you thought the Red Sox could land. They didn't get, but at least Rafael Devers, we know. We don't have to worry about him going anywhere else in the near future. It looks like he's going to play, I mean, knock on wood, his whole career as a member of this organization, which is pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, thank God, right? Like, I was actually coaching my kid. He had practiced, and like I was throwing BP when the other coaches, like, they signed Devers. I'm like, yeah, one-year deal. It's just, it's whatever. It's it's just arbitration. He's like, no, 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 11. So then I kind of stopped. <laughs> it, t- it took a moment. But, um, you know, it's funny because I think you probably talked about this before, too, where if you looked at Devers, looked at Bogarts, he said, okay, I want them both, right? But if you can only take one, it's got to be Devers, right? I mean, you can't replace that bat. So yeah. where would they have been? Does it save the offseason? No, they still got issues. We'll get into it. But it might save the next five years, right? Six years, seven years, because you can't you, you can't replace a guy like that. With Bogey, you know, I don't think you can replace the person. I think we can debate whether you can replace the player, right? So it's mm-hmm. just in the near future. But I think Devers was a guy they had to lock up. Um, they had to salvage something here this offseason, because quite frankly, 
kind of wondering what the direction is, right? Where are these guys going? Are they never going to sign a guy? Because if that's the case, the, the uh, 10-year deal, then they're never going to sign an elite talent anymore. So they got this done, which is nice. Yeah, and a couple of things I really like about this. First of all, you have the no opt-outs, right? So the Red Sox basically control this going forward because we've seen it so many times before. And I know he's not a Boris guy, but we just saw a Boris guy and Bogart's opt-out, which he should have. I mean, he was going to get a lot more money, but there's no opt-outs with Rafael Devers. And the other thing is, I mean, he signed through his 36-year-old season. You look at so many of these contracts across the sport that are eventually going to be bad. I mean, there are guys signed till they're 39, 40 years old. And with Rafael Devers, you've now locked up all his prime years. He's essentially just coming into his prime. You could argue the past few have been maybe last year as a prime year, but most of what he's done, the damage has been pre-prime. So you lock him up for his entire prime. And I don't think you're going to have that drop off on the back end, Lou, that you see with so many of these guys. I mean, you do wonder about he's got to stay in shape because that's obviously been an issue for him. One thing I do like is Turner being here now, you can get him off his feet a little bit more because obviously we saw he was really banged up in August playing through that hamstring injury. But I think all in all, I mean, I would have liked them to wrap this up like a couple of years ago where you get like an Atlanta Braves deal. You get sort of a hometown discount. But I can't complain about having Rafael Devers sign long term. Yeah, and and I think what we saw this offseason, because I was with you, I was like, man, he's going to want 14 years, right? He's going to want to go to age 40, 41, like all these guys when he hits free agency next year. So, you know, you got him to this, you know, and that's one of the things that I like, too. It's, it's really like a 10-year extension from the arbitration number this year, right? Mm-hmm. So it's it's not the arbitration at 17 and a half and 11 on top of it. But so it takes you to age 36. And if he if they let him go to free agency, he would have got 14 years. He would have got 13 years, in my opinion. So, you know, I don't want to say it's a bargain because you're paying this guy $30 million a year for 11 years, basically. Um, but no, there was a lot of teams out there waiting to add that bat to this team. They just, they needed to do it. They needed to do it. They couldn't, and you don't want a thing like Bogarts, right? The contract hanging over your head. I think they would have moved him, you know, quite frankly. It's like you put this deal in front of his face, and if he's not going to accept it, I almost feel like you had to move him. But hopefully, luckily, you know, he accepted it, and, and now you got him here for 11 years. But what contract of that life there isn't a concern, right? So the age, I think, helps a lot at 36 years old. Uh, the body itself, hopefully that thing holds up and so you can get him off his feet. But every long-term deal, there's huge risk. So I like the fact it takes you to 36. Yeah, and there is elements too where you can't keep losing your home star, hometown stars. I mean, no matter what happens with the Mookie situation, the Bogart situation, like you got to keep some of these guys here. And Devers is an incredibly talented player. I do wonder from your perspective, because the past couple of years before this year, the big thing with Devers is... There's a lot of issues there defensively, and it's not like he's not capable of playing third base. It's that he just made some mind-boggling errors, right? It's like on the transfer or stuff along those lines, right? You didn't really have concerns about like his ability to, like with Bogarts, it was always like if you looked at some of the advanced stuff, it was the range. You never really saw that with Devers. It was just the errors were blatant. So in terms of this contract going forward, how concerned are you that he could stay at third base for at least the majority, say 75 to 80% of the contract? I think it's one of the reasons why it was a complicated contract or it might have taken some time, right? Because it's, are you paying $30 million for a third baseman who produces? Perfect. Are you paying $30 million for a first baseman or a DH? You're like, oh, okay, now, now what are we doing? What territory are we entering? I think he can play third base, and I think he can continue to get a little bit better. You mentioned it. First off, his range is fantastic, I think. You know, and I don't know where it ranks as far as that, but I think it's good enough. I'll put it that way. Is it fantastic? Is it gold glove? Is it Aaron? I don't know, but it is definitely good enough. And I would say above average movement right and left. I think his arm is fine. His footwork can get a little lazy at times. And as you mentioned, it's a lack of focus. Just 
It's the, he'll make this great play, and then all of a sudden, as you mentioned, he'll get a routine ground ball and kind of bobble it. He won't watch the ball into his glove or get the ball clean into his hand, throw the ball away, or maybe not use his feet properly, throw in the run, throw it in the crapper, you know, stuff like that. So it's more focus-type errors I see from him. I think he can play the position. Now, it really depends on Tristan Cassis, right? I mean, if Cassis mm-hmm. comes up here and, and is the player that everybody thinks, then no, then he's not moving to first base. You know, if anything, it would be a move to DH. And, you know, if you've got the kind of production you get from him, I think most people would sit there and say, I'd pay David Ortiz $30 million to come back and hit like he did in his prime. So as long as the man hits, Brian, yeah. I think everybody's good, right? Yeah, and you know what he does also? He hits in the playoffs. We've seen that in both times that he's been in the postseason. And he hits good pitching. Like, he owns guys like Garrett Cole who are in this division. So that's major. I mean, you mentioned Cassis, which is huge, too. And I start to think about it, Lou, and I know I'm getting off track here, but I think you got to look at what the Braves have been doing with all these guys that they signed. I mean, you think about they just signed Harris this year, who was, like, in his rookie season. We saw what they did with Austin Riley, where Austin Riley, I get he's the same age as Devers, but they looked at it and said, he had one year, we believe in the player, like one good year in, what, 19, and they sign him long-term. And I'm starting to think about this from a Red Sox perspective. Like, uh, maybe I'm scarred by what happened with Mookie and what happened with Xander Bogarts, where I'm glad they had Rafi. But, I mean, if Tristan Cassis proves himself this year, I mean, I may start to think about it if I'm high in bloom. I want to buy out the arbitration years because, like, with Devers, this would have been the easiest time for him to walk away because he's that close. Same thing with Bogarts entering the opt-out. Mookie Betts, where he got to that last one. Remember, he said that it the hardest one was passing up 100 mil. Once he got to 200 mil, he, he, yeah, he knows it's going to continue to go up. So I think the Red Sox, whether it's Heim Bloom in the future or not, I mean, obviously, we'll see what the team does this year and we'll see how long time blooms here. But I think they got to make it more of a priority, sign these guys early like Atlanta's done. Yeah, I would agree. It's just a question of timing, right? Like I, you said, like Cassis and Bale, those are the two guys that jump off the page, right? If they both go out there this year and do what we think. I think maybe you got to give it one more, you know, because now you're talking mm-hmm. about year two, you got four years before free agency because, you know, listen, I get it. The Julio Rodriguez deal, all these other deals, but then you got, what about Bellinger out in LA? You know, after the year, he kind of was like, what runner up to MVP. And it's like, let's give you all this money. The guy's hit a buck 90 ever since, you know, or Tatis in San Diego right now. So there's, it's added risk to it. And I would want to make sure that you, the promising year one, turns into a promising year two. You, you know what I mean? And then you're still, you're still four years away from free agency. So they don't even have an arbitration yet. So and maybe it's you know one outstanding year and then you start having some discussions. But I agree with you. That's the future of the game. The Braves, I don't know what the hell they got in the water down there to get all these guys to, I know. to sign. Did you see that <laughs> all the players they have signed to like 2030? It's like the core of their team. Acuna's got... Acuna signed like a $100 million contract and Ozzy Albies signed for like seven and 35 million. Like, I don't know how they get all these guys to agree to the deals. It's absolutely mind boggling to me. Well, even completely- Murphy. I mean, the yeah. top level catches are getting almost $20 million. And he's like, you know what? I'll just take 12, 13. That's good. You know, I don't oh. want to break the bank. I just want to be in Atlanta. I'm with you. I mean, it's good for them. I mean, they got a loaded team for the foreseeable future. So, okay. So the Rafi thing, we're happy about that. This is the good news. Some of the bad news, Xander Bogarts is gone. He signs that $280 million contract with the Padres. Obviously, in a vacuum, you can understand why the Red Sox wouldn't bring him back on that type of contract. I mean, we talked about the long-term contracts. That's going to be a bad deal by the end. Now, if you look at Bogarts, really, until last year, defensively, he had struggles. 18-21, to 21, last among shortstops and defensive run save, minus 26. By the way, story was plus 43 in that stretch, which was third. 
So maybe part of the calculus in terms of I'm trying to figure out why they didn't sign him before last year, right? Because if you looked at some of the reporting Alex Spear had that he would have been willing to sign something similar to the Altuve deal, which was five for 151. So the only rational conclusion I can come to is that they thought, hey, the defense isn't going to hold up. And now we know what the shift rules, et cetera. But it just feels like this was such an avoidable thing where you could have had him through like his 36 year old season if you were just giving him that five year extension and they only offered him the report was the one extra year prior to last year at 30 million dollars which if you looked at that contract and compare it to what story got you would have paid him less on an annual basis than trevor's story so i'm trying to go back in time because i can understand this one why it didn't get done why they didn't go to 280 obviously but why do you think the hold up before last season do you think it was that they just didn't think he could hold up defensively and by they i mean the front office because the manager made it abundantly clear that he wanted him back yeah, but I do also think that defensively they see kind of like the struggles in range. And I know and I know you, you you dive into all the numbers, and I'm curious if you could even find it too because I was kind of you know, told to kind of look at the defensive runs saved, the positive numbers of bogey last year. A lot of them was when he was playing second base mm. in the shift. Like that's where a lot of the positive numbers came from. So yeah. I still think defensively – there's a slight liability there. Listen, I'm not going to crap on the guy because he's solid. If you hit it to him, you're out. He's a leader. Like I said, you can't replace the guy. You know what I mean? And I would have loved to have had him here because I think story at second base is probably more important, especially now without the shift than ever. That's so a I would good have point. Loved yeah. to have had this guy here, you know, but um, I think defensively there were some questions. Let's face it. They brought in story for a reason. I mean, you know, we said it back then. It all kind of came true. It kind of leveraged the situation. I do think that they thought that they had a really good chance of bringing him back until the Padres jump. You know, I think everybody was sitting on that seven, eight year deal. I think they were willing to maybe go seven years and they thought they'd bring him back. Um, and then when 11 came out, they were just done. So I think they had the limitations with him kind of moving forward. And that's, that's, a, but I, to me, I think they screwed up in spring training. You know, that's what I think yeah. the team feels like personally. I think they screwed up in spring training. I think you, you lock that guy up to that type of deal for a six-year deal. As you mentioned, you take him to 36 years old. There's no, no, you know, there's no worry about it. He can move to second. He can move to third. He can move to first. He can move to left. To me, he's that kind of an athlete. Well, and that's the thing too, right, Lou? Because, okay, if you get him signed, he's not worried about the leverage in terms of his next contract. He's saying, okay, then the player, if you sign him up to that contract, he's going to be more willing to change positions. He's never going to say that before you give him the contract extension because then he hurts his leverage. So that would have made perfect sense if you just got him signed in spring training. Then eventually, hey, uh, Xander, like two years into your contract, we actually would rather have Trevor Story over there. Okay, well, then we can have that conversation. We get there. So that I'm completely with you. That's where they missed it. They missed it last offseason. But before we get into the pitching staff and the bullpen, just in terms of the lineup right now, like, okay, it's great they have Devers back, but Bogarts is gone. I'm wondering, did they really replace that bat in the lineup? Because, like, I understand, like, people reference the ground ball hits, how he's a lucky hitter. It's like, at some point, if you're continuing to hit the ball to the opposite field, you're continuing to hit it in holes, that's a skill, okay? That isn't fucking luck when you continue to do that four years in a row. This isn't like a one season that's an outlier. It's four years in a row. Right. So you look at the lineup, they add Yoshida. I wonder how the power is going to play over here. Nobody knows. We're going to have to wait to see that. We know he doesn't strike out. He'll strike out a little bit more against major league pitching. I think you would agree with that. But the you like the approach where he walks. You bring in Turner. Maybe he's a slight upgrade over J.D. And at least he can play in the field a little bit. But we'll see. Maybe J.D. bounces back this season. But so does this mean you think that 
they're going to have Arroyo be the everyday second baseman because we've seen this guy can barely stay on the field as like a super utility guy. So I just wonder in terms of the lineup, do you think it's better or worse than it was last season? I, I, I don't think it's as good, you know, just because I still think there's some potential there with J.D. to have a bounce back year. And I think Bogarts, as you mentioned, is in there because and I say that because, you know, knowing that there's a lot of upside, but Casas can turn into exactly what they think. So there's upside yeah. All over the place. Here's my biggest concern, Brian. Where are the innings going to come from? Right now, Rafi Devers and Verdugo are probably the only two guys you can count on to play every single day. You know, we're yeah. close to it. That's it. Like, Casas mm-hmm. is just concerned about his body. They told him to work on that. Make sure you can stay healthy. Arroyo, we know about. Story last year. You know, I mean, Kike Hernandez last year. We don't know about Masa Yoshida, the catching situation. So, right now, I feel like Devers can be out there for a buck 50, 55. I feel like Verdugo can. But I don't know of anybody else that can I can count on to play every single day. And the other concern I have is, is the famous term is going to be strong up the middle. I don't know what the catching situation is. I don't yeah. know what the middle inf- infield situation is. And I think Kike's in center. Is Jaron Duran the backup? Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> no more Jaron Duran. Yeah, you're right, though. I mean, he's the backup right now. Take a look at the 40 man. Take a look at AAA. Like, like, who's backing up all these often injured players? Yeah. Like, that that's that's probably my biggest concern is when it comes to position players. And quite frankly, it transfers over to the pitching staff as well. Hey, well, well, you mentioned Duran, just to get this off my chest. Have you and you played major league baseball? Have you ever seen a guy worse at reading the ball off the bat than Jaron Duran? Not by someone who calls himself an outfielder. Right? <laughs> okay. Like that's and really, because and the thing is, he's it's he's so fast. Like it, he is so fast, and he can't get a read. He can't, doesn't have a straight line to the outfield. So it's it'd be different if this was a kid that was like an A ball, and they're like, oh wait, you know, let him go out there and shag, get some games behind him. But at the big league level, you bring a guy up, you would think that you know he'd be able to, with that speed play an elite defense in center field. And unfortunately, it's almost the other way around. He's fast, but you almost can't put him out there. You know, I feel for the kid, you know, because yeah. he's a great athlete that feels like he's sort of lost in this developmental phase and he should be ready for the big leagues, but he's not. And they put him out there and he's just not ready for it. Yeah. And he's not that young either, right? I mean, he's older than Rafi. I mean, he's, he's not like a young guy anymore. Uh, you mentioned Verdugo, who I think they're going to pencil in to play him every day. I, I wonder what his situation is going for, because I think he's got two more years than he's an unrestricted free agent. And you look at some of the defense, like last year, he was 44th out of 51 qualifiers in the outfielder in the outfield, rather in defensive run saved. And I know that like people reference and I've done it before, too, like I'm not innocent of this, but like his expected slug versus actual slug. But then you look at his ground ball rate the past three seasons. He's the 20th highest rate in baseball. So some of that luck is, OK, you're always hitting the ball into the fucking ground. I just wonder if there's concern about Verdugo, right? Because he was not this, like you could tell, like it was obvious to watch last year. He was not in great shape either. And the defense certainly slipped. It's not just looking at the numbers. You could tell watching the games last year that he was not the same defensive player. Right. Yeah. And I think, I think where there's smoke, there's fire sometimes. And I, I, I just felt like a lot of these reports at the end of the year, where the organization wasn't keen on him, could he possibly be a Hunter Renfro situation to where, you know, the arbitration number comes up and they just sort of look at him as, no, he doesn't fit that sort of salary area. I thought it was pretty telling at the end of the year when I think a reporter asked, like, Alex Core, like, who do you hope to see the improvements come from? And he named Alex Verdugo. He just came out with, 
he just said, we want to see him more athletic. We want to see this. We want to see that. And it was like, you know, usually you just sort of don't throw names out there like that. So I do think that there was kind of like, hey, get in shape. This is what we want from you. Um, whether they threw his name around, I think in trade talks and maybe improve a pitching staff, I don't know. But right now, as I mentioned before, I think he, he endeavors are the only guys that I've actually seen go out there and play 140 games. Yeah. No, you're right. Yeah, and story, obviously, that's an injury risk as well. Now, one of the things in the offseason is they went after bullpen guys. Last year, they were 26 at ERA in the bullpen. It was a mess. I mean, it was difficult to watch. Every time Salamore is out there walking the ballpark, you got Deekman, who I named Jake Walkman, who had the second worst walk rate in Major League Baseball for relievers. They signed a guy in Chris Martin, who's actually the best in terms of that. Doesn't walk anybody. He was first in Major League Baseball. So they bring in Martin. They bring in Jansen. Jansen's interesting, right? Because the pitch clock's coming into effect. Now, we know he's a proven guy in the league, but in terms of the bullpen right now, how do you feel about those additions? Well, Jansen is a concern. One of the things I'm interested, too, is he's going to pitch for the Netherlands in the World Baseball Classic because I'm sure this organization wants nothing to do with that. You know, I'm sure they would much rather have him here in Fort Myers on a pitch clock, throwing bullpens, trying to get adjusted to this thing. He's one of the slowest pitchers in the game. And I think it's going to be an adjustment for him. I had talked to uh, a friend of mine that's actually coaching in the minor leagues that saw the pitch clock in work last year. And a big league veteran came down, actually was on his staff, you know, was one of those like trying to get back from rehab and was a mess. He was a mess for like almost a month just because he, he couldn't figure it out or he felt like he was being rushed. And then all of a sudden it's in his head. You know what I mean? And now I'm not ready to pitch. And I'm not throwing conviction. Like it just – you start playing these mental games with you with yourself. So hopefully Jansen is in camp and he's not the world baseball classic and they have more time to sort of work that through. But I listen, I like the addition of the arms. I mean, I've honored a closer, you know, I look at Jansen. He's still got good stuff. He just doesn't have the same stuff as he once had. I think he closing is about, you know, mindset. It's about confidence. It's about, you know, being able to locate. I still think he has that. So I think he gets a lot of saves on, on just competitiveness and like the, like going out there and just getting the job done based on confidence and experience. So they've added some. Shriver's interesting. I don't know how you feel about it. I I wish Whitlock would stay in the pen. They're not going to do it. They want him to be a starter. Um, I'd love for them to get another starter. So you've got Whitlock and you've got Houck and you've got Schreiber and Barnes and Jansen and Martin. Now all of a sudden, you know, give me the lead in the sixth. This is how we can win some ball games, right? But they'll try Whitlock as a starter first. We'll see. Yeah, and the Whitlock thing, like last year, I felt like, okay, I understand why you needed to give him the spot start because the whole situation in Toronto, Tanner Howe couldn't pitch there, and then secondarily, Rich Hill's father had passed away. So I understand why they did that. But the fact that they kept trying to build him up, it felt like that's not you don't do that during the season, right? I mean, that's something you have to do in spring training. So I felt like in order for him to actually be successful as a starter, they didn't do him any favors. Like, they put him in a disadvantageous situation. Like, you just look at his numbers the second time through the order— opponents hit 291 against him right and I don't I think it's he's trying to learn at the big league level for the first time to go through the order the second time and you're just throwing him out there like that now I understand they were dealing with some difficult situations there but I mean at least I'm more optimistic going into this season with him as a starter than I would be a year ago but I don't think there's anything wrong with Whitlock especially under the contract that he has turning into an elite relief pitcher right if that's a role where you can get two innings every time you put him out there I don't understand why you wouldn't want that type of guy. Now, maybe they just think the ceiling is there, but he really needs a third pitch, right, for it to be like that slider is going to be good, which it wasn't great last year. We know that he has a fastball. We know that he has like an unbelievable changeup. I guess the question would just be, do you believe in the third pitch? Like, is a slider going to be good enough to be a consistent starter? 
Yeah, I, I think it'll play, but like, like you said, as a, as a reliever, right? He's fastball change of dominant. He shows you the slider. And then he had some t- points in the season where he almost put this, the change up on the shelf a little bit, and he was throwing the slider a lot more because he had a better feel for it at times. So I think the third pitch can work. It's just a question of baseball in 2023, right? Like it's – I feel like unless you have the horses that say like Houston might have had, you're asking your starters to give you five and keep you in it, right? So if that's kind of like the strategy – what are we keeping a minute for? Well, you're yeah. keeping a minute for a, for a dominant bullpen to go and close the game out and say, okay, you, you have five innings to try to score. Now we're going to go to our dominant bullpen. So, you know, if you've got the horses that can go seven, God bless you. But there just aren't that many guys out there. So every team is asking, if you go five, if you go six, they throw a party for you, right? So, <laughs> but, but you still got four innings to go, you know, three or four innings or whatever it might be. So I'd like to load that bullpen up. I mean, how can go out there, hell, and give you four or five minutes, you know, or Whitlock is doing, or even keep both of those guys out in the bullpen and say, hey, every other day, I got a guy that can go two. I can keep these guys fresh. You know, how goes two, goes to the sixth or the seventh or the seventh and the eighth. The next day, Whitlock does it. You kind of keep these guys moving around and keeping them fresh. Because I just think the game itself is different. Unless you've got the horses, you're asking your guy to keep you in the game for five innings. And it's like I said, what? Why are we doing that if our pun, if our pen sucks? And that was last year. Like yeah. that was last year. Great. Got started. Kept us in it. Awesome. It's three to three. It's four to three. Look up now. It's nine to three because our bullpen sucks. You know, like yeah. What are we asking to keep us in the game for? If our bullpen's going to shit the bed every single freaking night. Yeah. Here, co- here comes Deekman and Sawamura to come in to try to cl- to close this thing down. I mean, that was just it. That, I I felt bad for Cora last year. Like I. You couldn't really criticize him with the moves that he was making because it's like there's nobody out there that's giving you consistency with the exception of like Schreiber. And then Schreiber, by the end of the season, the dude was on fumes. He had never really been like a major league pitcher for a full season. You look at his numbers like the the last couple of months, it was tough. But in terms of this rotation in general, I, like the thing that concerns me is this. So all these guys, it's really question marks, right? With Sale, it's the health. Now, I was more optimistic than I think most last year because how many times did Cora reference like he had his changeup back? And that's what he didn't have two years ago. So I was more optimistic than most because Cora's not just going to put that out there and say that. Like, obviously, he's seen it enough. Paxton, that's another guy where it's health concerns. I mean, you go back before he started getting injured, 17 to 19, this guy was really good. But that's a long time ago at this point. Bayo is young. You're hoping he can be that guy. I mean, we know that the stuff is absolutely electric. Kluber at this point, to me, is just a back-end guy. I know that they offered. I mean, Chad Jennings had the report of Aldi three years. He ends up taking two years. So of Aldi's not part of the equation either. And that's where I just come back to, you and I have talked about Carlos Rodon for two years. They weren't really in on him whatsoever. And you think about some of the other guys are out there. Like, I'm not saying Bassett is an ace, but Toronto's got him to be their third guy. And you know that he's somebody that's going to give you innings. So I was kind of surprised that they weren't really in the starter market when they said they were going to add a starter. I guess technically they're right because they added Corey Kluber, but that's not the type of guy that I had in mind. I would just like somebody that I can put in the front end of the rotation. And then all these other guys that have question marks, like the Pavettas of the world. Okay, maybe those guys are better, like lower down in the rotation. I just wish they had done something in terms of the starters. Now, maybe they try to get into the trade market, but I don't really know what's going to be available. See, then we go back to, and I agree with you 100%, guys like Rodon, guys like Bassett. We got to rewind all the way back to the trade deadline of next year. And this is where I wonder how it's all tied in, you know, because I still say there was a lot of mistakes made over the last year and a half here in this organization. Maybe the biggest one was last year, the deadline, not getting under the luxury tax by $4 million. Like your team sucked. 
Like you weren't going <laughs> to do anything, right? You know what I mean? You could have just moved on from J.D. Martinez, but underneath that threshold. Now, what that did was you were one of, what, six teams that went over the luxury tax, the only team that didn't make the playoffs. You finished in last place. I wonder if that move affected how they approach qualifying off for free agents, right? You, I mean, you know the rules. Like if you're under the luxury tax, you know, you sign a guy like Rodone, you give up the second round draft pick and 500,000 international dollars, right? For signing potential guys, which is a lot of money. If you're over, you give up a second round, a fifth round pick and a million dollars. So all of a sudden the cost to sign those guys is a lot more a cost to sign a Bassett and a Rodone. And I wonder if they were hesitant to do that. And then I would go back and say, well, you made the mistake at the deadline in the first place. Right. So I don't know how it all ties in, um, but not going over that, I mean, not staying under that luxury tax really screwed them. It really, really did. It was one of the biggest mistakes they made. They should have picked like 70 and 71 for Bogarts and Evaldi. And yeah. they said they're going to have like 133 and 134 for those two guys. I mean, huge mistake. Now we get back to the staff. So it is what it is. Maybe they, that's why they didn't get involved. I don't know. Just like the position players, Brian, I have huge concerns about innings. Nick Pavetta is the only guy on this staff that I think could give him 150. You know, yeah. I, I mean, hopefully Bayo can, right? Hopefully Whitlock can. I don't know. You know, I mean, Bayo kind of did last year combined with AAA. Hopefully he can do it again this first full year. I have no idea. There's a lot of upside, but I think there's more risk than upside. And I don't know the philosophy. Keep bringing that Paxton and Kluber and Sale, and it's like, are they going to last a month, a week? Can they go five, six? I okay. Could they rebound and be all-stars? Like, I have no idea, but they didn't bring in that one guy. Like you mentioned, Redone. It was just like, give him the ball. You know, a guy like Gossman two years ago, give him yeah. the ball. And right now all they have is really Pavetta, right? That you can say, yeah, yeah. he'll give you 150. Yeah, and Pavetta, I mean, you got concerns with him because he's second to last over the past two years in walk rate. So he walks the ballpark. I mean, I give him credit. I mean, the guy competes. He goes out there and competes, but I, I never trust that he's ever going to have command in a good spot, right? I mean, because we now have evidence over the past, what, two years when he's been in this rotation where it's an issue. Uh, getting back to the position players quickly here, because like I said, I mean, Turner's fine, and I like the fact that, okay, you can get Rafi off his feet a little bit, but... I go back to Abreu, right, where Abreu hit over 304 last year. His numbers across the board are better than Turner's. And even if you look at Abreu, Abreu, rather, he had a slow start and then he really picked it up. Like second half of the season, he was one of the best hitters in the sport. And we get the report from Alex Spear, like this was the Red Sox number one target in the offseason outside of the organization. And then Spear reports that they were 15 to 20 million dollars off what the Astros offered, which is 60 million dollars. And to me, like, OK, like, you didn't bring back Bogarts, we got Devers back and all that, but you're thinking to yourself, if you're really trying to compete in 2023, how do you get beat that bad? Because the Houston Astros, who just lost Justin Verlander, who just won the World Series, they said, yeah, 60 is fine with us, and they're not a big market team. They don't spend like a big market team. They said 60 million is good enough for us. So if that is your number one offseason target outside the organization, how are you that short? Like, I don't understand how Heim Bloom can make these offers. Like, who is telling him, like, this is going to be close to the deal that Abreu gets? Yeah, and it's... Uh you know, and obviously the Devers signing, you know, at least they went out there and, and they gave yeah. you a market value. But you, you look around, you hear rumors of like a Schwarber deal that was, you know, whatever, three and 40, you end up getting four and 80. You know, and you're like, wow, are they misjudging the market that badly? Like Abreu, 
even if you offered three and 60, if you're Jose Abreu, where are you going for three years? Right. So he's going to go to Houston. They just yeah. won the world series. They have a hole at first base and it's like, okay, but, and I'm with you. Like that was the guy, that was my first guy. Like even like in October, I'm like, it's Abreu because he fits perfectly. You know, he's the right-handed bat that can go there for Cassis at first base. Like I'd like JD. I think he could be a bounce back candidate. We'll see. But he doesn't play first base, which is something I never understood the entire time. He's here. Well, I can't pick up a first baseman's club. But a Brady plays first base. He can DH. They, Lou, they tried everybody else out at first base. Why not JD? Right? I mean, Schwarber played first base. Arroyo played first base. Franchi. Franchi. He's the worst first baseman I've ever seen. They couldn't give JD a chance. And the other thing, too, Brian, he would have fit perfectly as far as like Devers, Abreu, Casas. Like, who's, who's in the middle there now? Turner? You know, I. I don't know. It's not that I think a Brady was more of a presence. I know the numbers are down last year. I'm sure you dove into some of those too. I mean, some weird numbers with the baseballs and, you know, JD not hitting opposite field. Same thing with a Brady. I think he's a good player. I'm not concerned that the guy went to Houston because if I was him, I would have. I'm to your yeah. point. If it's a number one, if it's your number one target and you're only going to go two and 40 and they went three and 60, you're not in the game. Yeah, that's my problem. It's like, I, I totally understand. It's a great point that, okay, if you have an opportunity, Abreu obviously hasn't won a World Series yet. You go to the Astros, you're guaranteed to go to the postseason. So I totally would understand him going there, but I would have liked to see the Red Sox be like at least in the ballpark of what the Houston Astros offered. Okay, now in terms of, we mentioned the pitching real quick. So Raffaella, would you use him as a chip like to try to acquire somebody? Like obviously, Mayer, you're not trading. Cassis, you're not trading. But Raffaella is a guy that it's an interesting prospect, right? Because he went from being sort of like off the radar in the Red Sox organization to all the way up to number three by most rankings. Would you use him as a chip? Because I mean, this is one thing that I give Dave Dombrowski a lot of credit for. He was really good at finding the guys in the organization to trade. Like Moncada, I mean, you do that trade again. Kopik, you do that trade again. I mean, what was the biggest criticism of the Kimbrel trade? Manuel Margot, like you do that again. Santiago Espinal for Steve Pierce, right? Now, Rafael, obviously a better prospect than Espinal, but Moncada, Kopik, those guys were high up in the organization. So would you, would you be willing to move him for the right deal? I think I'd move anybody for the right deal, you know, and I just say this, like I, I started talking to some people that, you know, saw the guy play a lot last year and, and to a man, I think everybody's almost said very similar things that if, in a pinch, if the Red Sox need him to play center field, he could win a gold glove, wow. you know, and, and, you know, and that's because they've been moving him to, uh, to the outfield. He's only playing the outfield for a couple of years. And, and, and he plays a plus shortstop as well. Like this kid is a freak defensively. Now he's a little guy and there's a lot of uh, swing, you know, like he, he's, he doesn't have the discipline at the plate right now, but I think last year as the year went on, especially at double A, there was a lot of improvements with that the question is what is the ceiling you know what i mean like you know we, we love to rave about these you know i think this guy's gonna be the next mookie you know i think maybe the defense is there but i don't know i mean if if he's a great defensive player and if he's kevin kiermaier you know what i mean like, I, I don't know in center field you know is, is that a guy you, you don't want to trade for anybody so um it's not, the, the biggest problem the biggest issue i think gms have is evaluating talent i don't want to know who the big leaguers are i don't want to know who's going to play in the big leagues i want to know who's going to be the impact player in the big leagues all right if he's going to just be a big leaguer i will move him right now if he's going to be devers if he is going to be bogarts if he's going to be Buki, then i don't want to deal you know what i'm saying there's a difference to me so the miami situation is intriguing i know all those reports there's a couple guys down there i don't know if you've seen edward cabrera pitch before or not but you could just look at his stat cast page and you'll love it it's just red everywhere it's beautiful <laughs> um i like him a lot 
looks like they want to impact that now, which is why Cassis' names was involved. But uh, Raphael, if you can get involved in some kind of deal for that kid, I'd be all in. Yeah, I love the fact that like Hoke's in that report. Like they don't want Hoke. They have enough pitching. Like why would they want Hoke? And like this whole thing, Lou. Lou, tell me if I'm right on this, though, with Hulk. Like, them saying they're trying to build him up as a starter, I think it's all bullshit. I think they're trying to get somebody to bite and believe Hulk's a starter because the Red Sox, quite frankly, I don't believe they think Hulk's a starter because he never went back into the rotation last year after the whole Toronto trip. They kept him in the bullpen. So I really think that Heim Bloom looks at Hulk and maybe thinks he can get something back for him. But I don't think, do you think, like, people around the sport think he's a starter based on what we've seen the past couple of years? Well, I would say that he's like, I could see like a small market team, you know what I mean? And this is kind of like, you know, you take a guy like out in Pittsburgh, right? Or, mm. or you look at a team like that or a team like Houston, they could sit there and say, we have a very cheap starter. You know, we can work at his third pitch um, and we can bring him over here if there's this big impact bat or, or whatever it might be, right? For the Boston Red Sox, a power outfielder type of, type of guy. Um, because you're absolutely right. Like, the reason why everybody keeps talking about he's the number one, you know, asset trade chip for the Boston Red Sox is because teams still view him as a starter. And this may be the last year they do that. Yeah. You, you know what I mean? Like if he settles in for the Red Sox and is like a reliever or two or three inning guy in the reliever, that that value goes down next offseason. We're just going to get a good reliever. So this might be the last offseason to deal them where teams, some teams feel like he could still be a controllable, cheap starter where you can actually get something for him. All right, Lou, and just on High Bloom real quickly here. So where do you think he's at in terms of the eyes of ownership? Because if you think about what they did, they moved on from Dave Dombrowski. And before they moved on from him, he had won three consecutive divisions and he had won this thing called the World Series, which I hear is like pretty important and people value that. And they moved on from him in 19 and they basically neutered him at the deadline. They had the whole Cashner deal, but he couldn't do anything else. They bring in Bloom. Obviously, they believe in his vision, long-term sustainability. I wonder when we're going to start to see some of that sustainability because after 21, they went in the opposite direction and they finished behind the Baltimore Orioles. But going into this season, if they don't make the playoffs, do you think that Bloom's job is up in the air here? Yeah, I do. You know, and, and I'm not for like, you know, firing people or anything like that, but it is yeah. just the business, right? And this is just sort of where you're at, you know, and and I don't necessarily know that he has to make the playoffs. So maybe he does. Maybe ownership is just like, and it's, I don't know what you're building right here, but this better work. Because when I look at this team right now, like I, I don't see a playoff team yet. You know what I mean? I don't know if anybody really does. So if you're telling him this team's going to make the playoffs or win a series, I think he's in a lot of trouble. The issues that I have... You know, with Heim, the one thing I can say is that I give him a lot of credit for his conviction. I mean, the guy has a plan. He sticks to it. He just, you know what I mean? Like, I, yeah. I, I don't know what it is. Um, he's constantly looking for those good baseball moves. It's just that I think he's almost too reasonable sometimes, right? Like, you're like, well, this is the deal. This guy should sign as a free agent. Well, that's great. You know, and you're in a little bubble and think that this is a fair deal. But everybody else is playing a different game, dude. Like, everyone yeah. else is, like, throwing money <laughs> around. Like, you're not in the game, Right. My concern is like the trades that he has made. Like, who's he brought back? You know, that's probably the biggest. You can only hold your hat on Whitlock, you know, for so many years, you know, like, and just like the, the smaller trades, like, who have you brought back? When you look at the minor league system, the guys that he's drafted are the prospects, right? Are there any trade guys that have come in that are going to like crack the big leagues? And it's like you look around, whether it's the Benintendi trade or, you know, the Mookie trade, you know, we'll see if Connor Wong can help, but Verdugo's not enough, you know, and all the other little trades that you, they kind of made, nothing really came in. Jackie Bradley trade. 
you know, or the Renfro trade. It's like, I got to start seeing like the talent evaluating, right? Like that's what you yeah. want to start seeing. And I thought you made a really good point last year when you talked about the Renfro trade where like in a vacuum, you can live with that, right? Because in essence, like you're paying for prospects, like that's not something that the Pittsburgh Pirates would do or the Baltimore Orioles would do or the Kansas City Royals would do. But the problem is when you take away a guy and look, Hunter Renfro was a flawed player. We all know that. I mean, great arm, but he made some mind numbing decisions in the outfield. He was horrible in the playoffs, strikes out all the time. But the reality is he's a big league outfield that hit 30 home runs for you. And you didn't replace him. That's the problem I had. And you were spot on with this. I mean, you mentioned it right at the beginning when they made that move. Like, where is the right fielder? Jackie Bradley Jr. is a fourth outfielder. He's not a everyday starter. And the way they open the season is Jackie Bradley Jr. basically playing every day in the outfield. And that's where I think some of the fan base gets irritated with Bloom, where it's like, okay, where's the emphasis on the big league club? We get it. It's great that you're building up the farm system. But it just felt like that was really unfair to first of all the guys on the big league club the manager of the big league club that you just basically took 30 home runs out of your lineup and you took Schwarber out of your lineup and you didn't do anything to replace those guys I guess part of it is they really believed in Bobby Dahlbeck I mean I guess that's the conclusion you would have to draw right they really thought that what we saw from Bobby D from August through the end of the season that was going to carry over and unfortunately it just didn't but that's one guy not and you got rid of two yeah, and I think those are the things. And I don't know, who's the kid in Chicago? Say Suzuki? Is that the kid that um, people were talking about, the outfielder, last year from Japan? I don't know if they thought they were in on him and he was going to be that replacement out there. I'm with you 100% because you, know, you talk about this team being like turning into a small market team, as some people say. I'm like, well, there's like three moves the last few years that small market teams can't do. It's like flexing big spending money. And it started with Autobino, you know, like picking up that contract just to get the kid German from the Yankees. You know, and then again, it was picking up Jackie Bradley's contract for as a fourth outfielder to get a couple of prospects. The problem is he should have been a fourth outfielder. You needed center field depth. You knew Jared Durant wasn't ready. You knew Kike last year before had COVID and is injured. So you were trying to protect yourself at center and you never went out and got a right fielder. And like the kid this year, Masataka Yoshida, like everyone's like, they overspent, they overspent. Oh yeah, they're the Red Sox. This is what you should be doing. Right, that's a big market flex. Yeah, the we'll, mm-hmm. we'll see how he looks like a good player or not. But this is what you do. You want a player in Japan, you blow everybody away, and you sign the player. So, but it's not followed up with big market moves, right? That's where the confusion comes in. And the Jackie one, I yeah. think, just sort of laid that whole thing out. It was confusing. Yeah, I'm with you, man. And I mean, I would say I'd like him to be a little bit more small market at the deadline last year when you're in last place. I mean, come on, let's go get under the luxury tax. Hey, Lou, just before I let you go. Right, as it stands right now, where do you have them in the division? Obviously, you'd have the Yankees, I would assume, and the Blue Jays ahead of them in the division. Do you have Tampa ahead of them as well? I mean, I guess you could actually make a case for Baltimore. But, I mean, I would put them ahead of Baltimore right now. But where would you handicap them at this point? I'd, I'd put them in front of Baltimore, too. I know a lot of people want to talk about but I'd put them for. You know, I think a lot of people want to talk about Baltimore's past them. Baltimore's going to spend in free agency. Where are they? Have they done anything? Who have they? No. What have they done? They haven't. They haven't done anything. So last year, was it a step in the right direction for them? Yes. We'll see if that bullpen that could be unpredictable from one year to the next is going to be as good as it was last year. Their lineup is okay. You know, um, their rotation is eh. You know, so, I mean, there's there's stuff to, to like there in the building blocks, but I don't think they're ready. So I still think the Red Sox will be fourth, and we'll see. I know they were fifth last year, but they should not be sitting behind Baltimore this year. They just shouldn't be. Yeah, and we'll see. I mean, to your point earlier, if Bayo has a – 
breakout season here, if Cassis turns into a guy that can give you 30 home runs, if Story bounces back, I mean, these are a lot of ifs. If Sale has his changeup, then okay, maybe maybe this team will be a lot better, but you're depending on a lot of guys with that are either young or with injury history. All right, that is Lou Merloni. Lou, great stuff, man. I mean, we didn't get to do this a lot at EEI. Talk baseball for like 45 minutes or so. We got to chat on like the pregame shows, but I mean, come on. I mean, what's better than this? Talking Red Sox for 45 minutes, man. Hey, it's beautiful waking up every day just thinking about baseball. I watched the Patriots as a fan, the Celtics. It's awesome. Now I just see what the hell these guys are doing. And finally, they did something. Devers, which is nice. Yeah, no doubt about that. That's Lou Merloni. Lou, thanks so much for the time, man. Really appreciate it. Anytime, Brian. Good seeing you again, pal. This episode is brought to you by Cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on Cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. All right, great stuff there from my buddy Lou Merloni. Nobody better in this market talking baseball than Lou. So that was a lot of fun getting into the Devers situation, the Bogart situation, and really giving you a preview of what's to come the rest of the offseason and into the regular season. All right, so this was basically an emergency pod because Raphael Devers has signed long-term with the Red Sox. So we'll be back with you with a podcast early Friday morning. And Andrew Callahan from the Herald is going to join us. So we'll preview everything getting underway for the Patriots and the Bills coming up on Sunday as the Patriots basically go into this situation. It's not a must-win, but it's pretty close to a must-win. Now, some things can happen for them to get into the postseason if they don't win on Sunday, but obviously a massive game, so we'll chat with Callahan, and we'll have that one out for you on Friday. As always, make sure to get your voicemails in. That's 617-396-7172, 617-396-7172. Thanks to Jamie McClellan and Steve Cerruti for producing this podcast, and we'll chat in a couple of days. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.